This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in his mouth as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so base. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap while Denny speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day! <laughs> Welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. My name is Britt Reinhold Hobson. And I am Joey Rogate. Indeed, indeed. And before we go back to talking about Sir Laurence Olivier... And his version of Henry V. Um, we're gonna give you some uh, some recommends, some uh, some film chatter before we get uh, before we bridge the gap between theater and film. Um, so anybody itching to uh, anybody itching to give a rec? I haven't hosted in a while, so I don't really even know how this works anymore. Anybody want to rec- recommend something first? Yeah. yeah first. I, oh shit. Oh, oh, Brit. oh shit. No, Britt. Britt, please. You've had a tougher week than I have. You go. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I mean, let's be real. I'm just really dramatic. So anything could happen and I would make it into the most harrowing story possible. I just but like this time attention. it's appropriate. <laughs> Thank you. I think, you know, a, a big leak in your apartment is appropriate. Um, so we're not talking about that today, though. Right now we're talking about film recommendations. And I really wish that I had seen the film that I'm recommending today prior to our Rocky Horror episode, because if I had, I think this might have been my replacement for it. So this week, I am going to be recommending a movie from 2022 called Inuo by Masaki Yuasa, and it's produced by the animation company Science Saru. Inuo is a rock opera set in in 14th century Japan that follows the story of two people who were discarded by society and how they used their artistic gifts to tell the stories of people who have long been forgotten. This isn't a conventional animation uh, animated film. It took about 30 minutes for it really to get going. But once the actual 
rock opera started in this film, I was so hooked. I was into it. Um, it's brutal. It's impressive. It's moving. And the animation and choreography for all of these musical numbers is just off the wall. You can see where there is Michael Jackson influence, where there's Queen influence. It's so stylish and so cool. But it's, it's not a traditional story storytelling type of film. So you kind of got to go into it ready for this to just be more style over substance, to be perfectly honest. But there is a lot to unpack. It's just kind of a bizarre film. And I absolutely am obsessed with it. I, I loved it so much. So that is N-U-O. Uh, Brit, I'm going to need you to spell that. Uh, because yeah, I tried so, to write so it down, and I think and I don't want to speak for Joey, but one thing I do frequently when you both give your recommends is I quickly type it up and I look it up, and I if and so um, I don't know, I, I I have nothing to add because I couldn't. Well, how do you how do you spell that, Britt? I was going to ask the that? same question. I N U dash O H, and wow, it is um, currently streaming on Hulu, and um, as of when we record this. And it's, it, it was uh, in like contention to be best animated feature, but it wasn't chosen. It's just a bizarre little film. And I loved it. Loved every second of it, especially once you got past that 30, 30 minute mark. The 30, first 30 minutes, just hang on, just hang on. And then you get to the rock opera and it's killer. Sweet. Awesome. Oh, very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Once I, once I, I, I I spelled it very differently, so I am happy that you asked first. Oh, I, trust me, it's, I was I was definitely going to ask. I, I had no idea. Yeah, well, because I, I have everybody's recommends down, so I'm like, oh, and I'm like, oh, I don't even know what this. Is. But that sounds guys, cool. You guys are so much better than me. I I'm always like, oh, I should remember that for later, and then I I don't, and I just write it down when I re-listen to the episode and I go, but, oh, that's right. I wanted to watch but, it. But you got to remember, you're doing the pod with two guys who like lists. So, mm. I mean, it's just... God damn it, that's a true. list. I, we got a list. A list of them. You got a list you can do. You're going to do that list. Whereas... I have different books for different lists. So don't oh, like... Jesus. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I have like a few lists going now specifically for this podcast and it's just... ugh. <laughs> takes up too much time well as no it doesn't it's it's actually it's fun. like hate list joey <laughs> further down adam for making lists <laughs> exactly well, let's continue building these lists and and joey let's get your recommend um what are you recommending this week yeah so i am recommending 2001 a knight's tale a movie i've watched a million times it's so much fun heath ledger it's directed by brian Helgelard. lind it's awesome Helga lind Helgeland, yep. That, that sounds a lot better than I said it. Um, you know, just go with it. Just go with it. <laughs> yes, yes, Adam, correct. Um, it's a movie I've watched a million times, and I love it every time. And, um, you know, they actually fight, and they don't just kind of push each other a little. So it is a wonderful movie that I would recommend to everybody. Hard agree. Hard agree on that one. Yeah, me too. It's, it's one of those films that... It's a little weird, but I still love it so much, and it holds a special place in my heart. I'll always watch that movie. Just a Bowie dancing in the middle, like just I mean, you, you. It's a movie you don't think about until it's on. You're like, oh my god, I love this, and then you forget about it again until the next time. So you see good. It. So well, I think we watch it at least once a year. And the time. Oh, for the sure. The timing of this is actually spectacular because Brian Helgeland is the screenwriter for our episode that's dropping on Friday because he wrote L.A. Confidential. There you go. That's such a bizarre 
juxtaposition. What a like, career. It, it's amazing. What? <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Hot damn. Okay. Well, and this is, this is, I, again, I feel like as, as kind of per the use, our, our recommends are going to be all over the place. And mine's a little more on brand with what we're discussing today. Um, I'm, I have a Shakespearean recommendation and I am going to be recommending, um, Kenneth Branagh's version of Much Ado About Nothing. Um, that's a good one. Which I, you know, of the ones that I, I had seen and hadn't seen, this is one that kind of went past me. Um, and, and much to do about nothing is is probably one of the more revered comedies. Um, definitely the battle of wits between Benedict and Beatrice. Um, but the supporting cast is great. Um, it's fucking it's Kenneth Branagh. Um, uh, uh, oh my god, Emma Thompson, Denzel Washington is in this thing. Uh, Keanu Reeves actually, I got it. Okay, now Keanu Reeves gets a lot of shit. He was not great in Dracula. That is a known fact. But I think is the brooding, like uber villain in this. He actually plays it really well. Um, and this is something that we'll probably not be talking about when we get into the discussion of the film. This makes Shakespeare more accessible and more fun. This, especially this version, this version of it. Um, and uh, I think that's a big deal when it comes to Shakespeare. Um, it's pretty important. It's, it's huge. It's fun. It, it's a fun, silly thing. Um, it has some dramatic moments, but the way that they do it, I thought um, that was really, really fun. So I'm going with uh, Kenneth Branagh's version of Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, what a great choice! That's oh, such, I love that oh, film. It's, it's it's I I I hadn't seen it before, and I watched it um, over the weekend, and I I thought it was quite fun, quite fun. Did you say Kate Beckinsale? Kate because Be- I believe her, Kate Beckinsale is in that is as her hero, debut. right? It is her film debut yeah. as hero. Absolutely, yep. And Michael Keaton I, plays Dogberry. I mean, come on, it's just it's it's so, it's, it's kind of bizarre the cast, but it works really well. I can we just talk about that movie? I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish um, more than, okay, not, it's not, not Into the Woods. We're not doing that either. Wow. I'm, I'm looking for anything to talk about other than the movie we're going to talk about, which is, which is uh, Laurence Olivier's um, uh, Henry V, or um, if you'd like the full title as um, the Chronicle History of King Henry V with his battle fought at Agincourt in France. I'm making fun of the spelling. That's why I was doing that. Um, it was uh, basically, you know, it was written, directed, produced, starring Laurence Olivier. I'm going to, I'm now, now for people listening, uh, if they haven't already gotten the vibe, they're going to get it hard here. And the movie also starred uh, Renee Asherson, Robert Newton, Leslie Banks, Felix, Aylmer, Robert Helpman, Drell Case, Griffith Jones. I'm not going to. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop because this is really. You went too far. Vehicle. You went I, too I, far. I, I know. I did. I I, I did. Um, one thing I was surprised to see, though, in doing this is that. Um, this is the only um, the only film by Laurence Olivier in the book, and given his sort of reputation, I was a little surprised that his Hamlet was not in the book because I feel like that's that was the bigger one. That's what, that one that won all the Oscars when it came out. Um, but speaking of Oscars, uh, this was up for a few. Um, it was up for Best Picture and Best Actor. Um, those would lose to the uh, the far superior the best years of our lives. Um, of course, Christ. Uh, but but Sir Lawrence Olivier did receive an honorary Oscar for his uh, outstanding achievement as actor, producer, and director in bringing Henry V to the screen. Um, and uh, apparently, back in the forties, the National Board of Review was like they were smoking fucking opium or something because they thought this was the best film of the year and that um, Lawrence Olivier was the best actor that year 
It was the propaganda of World War II. It, That's why. It certainly was. I mean, British loved it as propaganda. Yep. Um, <laughs> now, uh, gang, <laughs> do we, I don't know why. I really don't know why I'm finding this as funny uh, as, as I am. Do, um, do we think that this film is on the IMDb Top 250 it should be on the bottom 250 of IMDb. Interesting choice. Uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, the the IMDb top 250 is just an unknowable eldritch being. Um, I have no idea what's going on with it. I don't think this film should be on it. Therefore, I'm going to say maybe. Yeah, I'll say yes. Why not? To make it more interesting. We're, real, we're really covering all bases That's here. amazing. Uh, Britt, the gumption the attitude i'm all for it you're wrong it's not on the list but i appreciate i it, assumed it, yeah um joker is still on it though um joker is still sitting pretty at 80 between um modern classic avengers endgame and uh princess mononoke uh so that's same as last this time makes sense this makes sense uh so no so no movement uh in that that wonderful list that we all love so much you know i think i'd rather watch joker than watch this film again uh, i hands down hands yeah. down the most yes ever um so it's yeah. i i i know we we've now have some uh some mixed and mostly negative feelings about our friend bosley crowther um but i did i did want to bring something up from his review because of course he actually said something in it that um i, I absolutely agree with um the last two paragraphs of his review, he goes, Mr. Olivier has leaned perhaps too heavily toward the comic characters in the play, at least for American audiences, which will find the dialects a little hard to get. The scenes with the Welsh and Irish captains are too parochial for our taste, and certainly the writing incompletely of the Falstaff deathbed scene with the echoing voice of Harry carrying over from Henry IV Part Two is obviously not essential and just a bit grotesque, which I got to say, like, spot on, Bosley. You might be a bit of a misogynist, yeah. but that's nailed it. <laughs> yeah. No one of English. Correct, Bos. I mean, I will agree. I would say he's more than a bit of a misogynist, but that's here nor there. We're not talking about his misogynistic tendencies currently. Um, but he did write a pretty spot-on review of this this film now, that we witnessed. Now, but it's much more clever than my. I should thoughts. say though that the very last paragraph goes. However, in all other matters, in the use of music and the brilliance of costumes, which appear most remarkably exciting and technicolor employed, in toning the whole film to the senses, Mr. Olivier has done a tasteful job. Thanks to him and to all those who helped him, we have a glowing touch of Harry in the night. Ah, yes, we kind of kind of loses me. it there. Yeah, at the end. All right, yeah, Boz, you yeah. failed. Um, you couldn't you close it out again. This is sporting a perfect hundred percent critical score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Seventy-four audience. That's why Rotten Tomatoes. But, uh, but what? Just, yeah, that's just a lie. Um, I know we've covered this kind of already, but do we? Do we? Uh, how do we feel about lists, Britt? Do you do you like lists? What are your feelings towards um, lists? I I don't like lists, but I make so many more of them now that we've been doing this podcast for about a year. Um, it's bonkers. Lissai. <laughs> Joey, what about you? I I think I'd fall apart with that list, guys. 
Yes, the the glue that keeps our lives together. Um, Maybe some of our lives. Uh, Not uh, mine. I just go with whatever's happening. Speaking as somebody who has no children. (laughs) Yeah. I respect it. Um, I did find a uh, a recent list. This is going to be a fairly obvious sounding list. But um, so Collider, which is a uh, film website I do enjoy. um, In January of 2022, they made a top 15 best Shakespeare film adaptations. These are not like um, the loose, this is not like the Lion King or any of the Kurosawa films. These are kind of pure Shakespeare adaptations. There's one that's kind of a cheat uh, and when it comes up, we'll get to it. I'm gonna kind of kind of go through these quickly, but um, please shout things out if, uh, if, you, if you've seen them or whatever. Um, so number 15 in a movie I just watched the other night, uh, Richard III from 1995, the one starring Ian McKellen. Um, Interesting premise, I will say. Um, uh, it, it's there's it, it's um, I don't know if it t- fully works, but I like Ian McKellen as Richard III. Um, Fourteen, a movie I have not seen, Coriolanus from 2011. That's the one starring Ray Fiennes, where it's set kind of modern, like modern warfare kind of setting thing. Um, so yeah, there's that. No, nope. uh, number I haven't seen it. Thirteen, uh, 1935's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, that's not the version I have seen of that one. I've seen the much more Christian Bale. What's the Stanley Tucci version? But that's not that didn't make this list. Um, number twelve. Surprising. Yeah, well, I, I kind of think so too. Um, num- I like it, but that could just be like my nostalgia for for that. That's the one with Callista Flockhart too, it's right? Cert- yes, yeah. it yeah. yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, number 12, and the reason why we're talking today, uh, Henry V, um, glad it's as low as it is, I will say. It could be lower. It could not be on the list at all. I was going to say it's too yeah. high. Right? Um, <laughs> so then, uh, so number 11 is Julius Caesar from 1953. This is the one that Marlon Brando is in. Um, I didn't even know this existed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it, I have not seen it. Um, number 10 is uh, Laurence Olivier again popping in here with his version of Hamlet. Um, number nine, King Lear, which is a play I actually really adore. I don't know this version yeah, of too. it, um, so I can't speak much to that. Uh, number eight, uh, this one is too low, personally. Uh, Kenneth Branagh's version of Hamlet. Um, that's number eight. Oh. Number seven, Twelfth Night from 1996. Another more recent one I have not seen. I didn't Me neither. Not seen this one. I don't really like seek out filmed Shakespeare though I, I just it's I, I, I kind of have an issue with it but. I, I totally understand that um, number six uh, the wildly stylistic um, Titus from 1999 uh, oh I do really like that film I, that, and that's yeah, um, I like that one too that's Julie Taymor <laughs> so of course it is just yeah. like balls to the wall design right, right in your face um, number five Henry V, but not this one, the Kenneth Branagh version of Henry V from 1989, which will I thought that would be come up in discussion as we continue this. Um, number four um, from 1971, this is Roman Polanski's version of Macbeth, which I have not seen, but I know is kind of highly regarded in, um, in the Shakespeare uh, adaptation world. Number three, Branagh on here the third time with Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, um, yeah. Number two. Now, this is kind of this is the kind of cheat. Uh, so Chimes at Midnight uh, is at number two. That's the Orson Welles combination Falstaff mm-hmm. one where it's taking from a couple of Shakespeare's plays and, and all that. 
I feel like that's kind of pushing it I, personally. I agree. I agree. Um, given the sort of way that the other uh, the list is going. Um, yeah. And number one, and a movie I intended to watch last night, but you know how life goes. Um, Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet from 1968, um, which is a, uh, the version of that movie I have not seen. I think I've seen that one. I feel like that's it one was a very long time ago. That they used to show like in high schools, but then they stopped because yeah. I believe Juliet is a bit nude. She's fourteen. Yes, that and nude. too. Yeah, that's that's. Oh, yep. Because yep. she, uh, it's the woman who stars in Black Christmas, which I love. Olivia Hussey. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, she was fourteen when she did those uh, those scenes. They they really didn't give a shit back in the sixties and seventies. Looking no, at you, blood on Satan's claw, uh, where they had a nude seventeen year old in it as well. Oh wow! Okay. Um, Just to get into really fun conversation <laughs> topics right off the bat, um, problematic sixties and seventies movies. So so, uh, okay. So we're talking about we're talking about Henry V today. Um, now, I, I I hemmed and hawed in my own mind about whether or not I wanted to hard t- like not tangent, but almost like almost like monologue for a second. Like I just I just go for kinda, it. I just feel Please like I go. have to. So yeah, I used to be so afraid of Shakespeare as an actor. Um, when I was in high school and an undergrad, I never had the opportunity to do like a Shakespeare play, right? You do the occasional scene or whatever. But like when I got to grad school, it, I just got immediately like we're doing Shakespeare. You're doing Shakespeare. And I was like, I was fucking, I was so like, it was a, such a daunting task to try to approach it. Um, and then uh, I worked with people who were really good at it. And then I like fucking, I fell in love with Shakespeare. So that's where like as a, as an actor, I really love diving into a Shakespearean play like the the text the lexicon the the stories and then each play has its own like world that you're creating I dig it I love it I love it I think it's fun but this yeah this version this this style everything about this is why people fucking hate Shakespeare this is why people don't when they hear it they scoff they cringe they go away and there from from my point of view there's there is there's there's very little to even recommend within the film which is such a like and i and i've i've just said that i i'm a newfound like shakespeare fan like i really like shakespeare this i'm i don't like this one peeps my 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 thousand and one gang i don't like it i don't like this um yeah yeah, I mean, so I can watch anything. It took me five times to get through this. And I'm going, I'm, I've am i been thinking about this all day. This is my least favorite movie I've ever seen. In my life. <laughs> I'm not saying I've not seen worse movies, like, made. But this is the least favorite thing I've ever watched. So I hated it. I also hated this film. And I I come from a kind of a different place to Adam as a, a as a fellow theater person. I really have never done Shakespeare because it is scary. It is and and there are so many people that love it so much. And I kind of at the point where I could have done it, um, 
there are too many people that love to do it and have have in their bios that they are um, Shakespeare aficionados. And I got to be honest, if I ever see that when I go to like an outdoor Shakespeare festival in like a program, I go, oh, God, this is going to be a terrible show because I just don't <laughs> trust people who who say that they're Shakespeare aficionados because they probably don't know what they're talking about. But like Shakespeare's not my favorite, but I have seen some incredible productions of it and it can be so good and so incredible. So um, story time last week, I was I was pretty sick and um I was laying in bed and my husband was like, you know, I got off work early. Why don't we just just hang out? Why don't you put on the movie that you're supposed to watch for the podcast? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not running it. So we can just put this on real quick. And um, we started watching it. And <laughs> in about 10 minutes in, I stopped the movie and I go, this cannot be the movie that we're supposed to watch. And Neil goes, what do you mean? And I was like, this this has to be the wrong version. And I spent 20 minutes researching to make sure that this version we were watching was the actual version we were supposed to be watching. And my husband, who is British, he has seen um, a lot of Shakespeare. He's done a lot of Shakespeare and um, he's like gone to the he used to go to the RSC, which is the Royal Shakespeare Company all the time because it was 30 minutes away from where he lived. He just kind of turned to me and he goes, you know, sometimes you just should say no and and not do this. <laughs> just just not. And and he got up and left and it didn't take me five times. It took me three times to get through this film. It was I do not understand this movie. I don't get what they were trying to do. I get that it's propaganda, whatever, that's fine. But I, I don't understand what they were trying to say so, because it's so flat. So, and, and, and so th- did either of you two, well, either watch it for this or at any point in your life, have you seen uh, the, the Branagh version of Henry V? So I watched it last night. Okay. And 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 I decided that um that the nineteen forty four version was seriously seriously lacking in something and that something was someone and that's Brian Blessed. Just gonna put that out there. I ha- I saw that one a long time ago because I watched the Brana Hamlet and I really liked it, so then I watched the Henry the Fifth and I liked it. So So I, I had some hopes for this and then it, I almost broke my And feet. so I think I mean so there's you know the use of the and I get you know for people who are listening, I know we we haven't talked about the plot yet, um, and and obviously this is this is a fictionalized telling of Henry V, um, and basically him trying to claim land that he believes is his in France, um, and so it, it's it's building to war and and this major battle that takes place in Agincourt. Like I, I I've really cut like I, I I skimmed over a lot there, but like this play is ancient and it's not necessarily. <laughs> Um, so oh no, not at all. So, I mean, it was propaganda back in the time. Yeah. So. Right. so so that that's that's all there. But I I wanted to bring up the the Branagh version because b- both 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 versions do this thing where they try to help. Like the whole course is over oh, amuse a fire. Oh, we wish that you could actually transport you to the places where this happened. And in Branagh's version, there's like a film set. But at least so at least with Branagh's version, we start there and then we enter the world and then we're in the world, right? So so for anybody who, who you know, wants to punish themselves um, and, and watch the Olivier version, I, I, was, I was on the fence initially because one of the aesthetic choices they do is they basically reenact the Globe, which is the one of the original theaters in London where Shakespeare and his Merry Men did these shows. And, you know, they had some, 
as like a almost like a piece of document like theater history as documentary the whole idea of the open air theater when it rains and like how they would have staged it like me as a theater nerd i'm like okay this is interesting I'm, i like this sort of authenticity to how it would have been staged getting the weird kind of glimpse backstage into how that goes but we're there too long they pick the weirdest time to go into the real world i know i'm using it in air quotes but but to get us out of the theater and into the world i can i i, I can can either of you can you i mean i i was wildly baffled by that choice I had to watch that part a few times because it, the transitioning made no sense when they did it and why they did it. It was just all confusing. So when I started watching this and we were like, we're 10 minutes in and this is a terrible movie, I had high hopes that, well, I didn't have high hopes for this film, but I thought maybe what we're going to do is we're going to just go into the backstage and we're not act. It's going to be like a... Um, like a, a a noises off scenario where the stuff is happening off, you know, the the on stage is off screen, and I was actually kind of excited about it. My my favorite scene in the whole movie is the transition, um, like out of the priest talking into Henry's entrance when everybody's backstage and getting ready to go on, and there is stuff going on on stage while people are getting ready. That's just lovely and fantastic, and I I did truly enjoy that but then they never bring that back yeah it's just like a a a moment other than when um when you know like the 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 bishop or whoever it is congratulates laurie lawrence olivier backstage after he was really good as henry on stage which he wasn't because he was so bland in this film and they just never utilize that again they they make no effort to make any of the any of the dialogue makes sense, which is such a hindrance in this film because, man, it's difficult to understand. And usually you go a couple lines into a Shakespeare play, even a bad one, and you're like, oh, I can kind of understand what people are saying. And I was having such a hard time translating what people were, what anybody's uh, like dialogue meant. I, it was impossible. Correct. Yeah, th- so, correct. so that we, we, we start off on a really bad note because the 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 chorus so the chorus comes in and and he's and and he and everybody else in this movie is more concerned with how they sound instead of getting the point across so everybody yes. everybody's got that affectation and it's all oh for me it was a fire and it's and it's all it's all the, the 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 sound of the voice right listen to how mellifluous my voice is right which is annoying and it doesn't help with the the the, the um the the intention the 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 meaning behind the words and because everybody just decided to not use their arms or their body you're not getting those nonverbal gestures to help like reinforce what the fuck i'm saying right and when 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 nobody when everybody's upper body is not moving and they're just saying the words we're not getting those extra cues that we need and listen the stories of shakespeare are old as time right oh we like oh romeo and juliet it's it's a tale of lovers who's they're doomed to 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 perish right or whatever but like the histories aren't as straightforward and so because of that we need all the help we can get, especially Absolutely. if you didn't, if this isn't your world. And, and I, and, and then the other thing, 
and I, I swear I won't make this too much about a Shakespeare thing, but like, I've never understood the the love for Henry V. It's we you if you don't know Henry four one or two, you don't know who Falstaff is, and you don't know Hal's past, and so it's like we. I, I, none of this. Why the fuck do we care about Falstaff and Henry V when we don't know him? Oh my god! Yeah, I, don't I care. was thinking that the whole time. I was like, God, if you do not know for uh, Henry the Fourth, Part One and Part Two, this whole thing makes no sense. And, and none of it, like. And I don't. And it and, doesn't. And for the record, oh, I almost sent you a message, Joey, to be like, so that guy dying in a bed. Do you? understand any of this just because i wasn't sure if you were familiar no i had to go read read it to figure out what happened because it made so and broad strokes for the listeners and henry 4-1 henry the fifth is how prince how he doesn't want he doesn't want responsibility he's off getting drunk with falstaff and all his buddies and he's living his life to the best uh but back at court his dad um basically is like my son is kind of a kind of a fuck up and uh, I need him to come prove himself and he does and Falstaff joins him and then in Henry IV II Henry IV dies and then um, Hal becomes Henry V basically like Falstaff my childish days are over and I need to ascend to my you know where, where I belong and then he leaves Falstaff behind and it's a sad thing and but but when you don't have that context and and this happens. It's just like nobody I, being that person without the context. It it was just nothingness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a person with the context, and it was nothingness. So I can't even imagine how it would be to not have the like. Not <laughs> this was such a, a bastardization of what could be with. Shakespeare like you can do so much with with Shakespeare and this felt like such a stale uninspired and honestly just very very bad version of it I don't understand how this came to be like it I uh, there was a point where my husband was like hey you should probably like I was talking about it so much and I was like this is the most difficult I've had with a movie like I don't know what to do and Neil was like you should probably send a message to the boys and let them know and I was like no 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 we'll talk about this it's fine and he was like no this is like really hard for you and I was like it's it truly is okay but he like could see how how much I was struggling with this because even as a person who is not the world's biggest Shakespeare fan I found this so freaking hard like what was happening well and and then and what's unfortunate, too, is that they don't – and again, and I, I really hate to be like, you know, in Branagh's version, but like at least – Branagh's version is better. It, and, and in that one, too – I understood that version. It's yeah. the, the – it's more and, – and, and as – I guess as – and this, is, this might be a bit of extreme. This might be broad strokes. But as, as pro-war, as patriotic as this one is, Branagh's is way more like um, – like like some shitty shit's going on that's not broad strokes they purposefully cut things out of this this specific thing uh, yes. to make it more palatable no, no, and to- to- they, they take out the scene where henry v is like uh like fucking in those guys faces the the guys who are giving right. the information to the french it's um 
but but what I meant by broad strokes is to go like that this one's pro war and this one's like war is bad. But like that's kind oh, of what yeah. but like that is in terms of making those extremes, that is that is what's happening. I think it's I think it's right, especially how much propaganda this one is and like Britain wanted and, it. And well Lawrence Livia was pulled off of uh being a part of like the Air Force or wherever yeah. he was in order to make this film, which seems really fucked up. Like how how can that happen and it came out right after d-day so they purposefully inserted the thing at the beginning of like oh to all of those who have fallen in order to kind of tell people hey what you're doing is uh you dying is worth it for for england which i think is so fucked up so fucked up yeah no 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 i totally agree and and part of that and and I don't know, maybe and, – and then there's a whole – like, I don't – I really don't want to go down this path, but, like, you know – Go down the path. Well, go no, down I don't, it. I, I don't – like, the just England and France and, and that history – and and just like the the friend – like, the Dauphin in this version was just such a, like, a, a yutz. I'm like – and, like – Yeah. Like, can we the, – the, that the whole – the whole French camp is, like, you guys are ridiculous. This felt like – Sticky shtick, like community theater actors yeah. doing their best. Oh, <laughs> well, like the Dauphin in in history, because of course the thing that I latched onto in this was history. So I just went on a deep dive of that, which was actually really Same. fascinating and really interesting. So the Dauphin was actually um, he was plagued with probably some type of uh, mental disorder his entire life and he was not a very good ruler so they just decided that oh that just means he's kind of funny uh they did nothing with that character whereas it actually kind of opened up this this weird area where henry could come in and say actually i i can take this crown over because that's just what england did for you know However many hundreds of years, they just tried to take everything over for a while. They sure did. Yeah, the history part, reading about it, because, you know, I sort of knew about it. So getting into the history stuff was a lot of fun. That that I enjoyed more than ever. And there's... It was so fascinating. It's Well, and... To bring it back to the, the, the I guess, the language of it, and, and just how... it Not only did it feel like they were so concerned about how they sounded, but, like... There was a I didn't feel them enjoying the language. There's a chunk um it's uh, it's it's act 1 scene 2 um and it's when it's when Henry's presented with the tennis balls. That that speech is actually so great. I'm not going to I'm not trust me I'm not going to read the whole thing, but when it gets all of the um shall this mock mock out of their dear husbands, mock mothers from their sons, mock castles down. The like the use of language like throughout this as written is really cool and as an actor there's so much like we're saying mock and then we're using the word mock when we should be saying knock like there's fun there's good language in here that when when Lawrence Olivier says it he's just saying the words he's just saying the words and we're losing all of that great like and like that that awk sound like mock it's it's like it, it 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 has snap to it at the end but when he does it, it's like mock. <laughs> I don't know. It just there's no there's no real power behind it. I don't nothing that that meant. I read people talking about that speech, and I after and I was like that. I don't I don't agree. And, and then pretty much what you said, Adam, where I was like, oh oh, he just didn't do it. 
well. That's why it landed so flat. Well, and then if you want to see, if you want to see it interesting, so and then there's also that there's the two the two famous speeches in this in the play in the movies. We have you know once more into the breach, and then we have the right. Saint Crispin's Day speech, um, and both and in and both the Branagh version and in the the Olivier version, the the Saint Crispin's Day speech is very much rousing the troops before we go to battle. I don't, and Britt, you might have seen this, but Joey, I'm kind of doubting you have, but there's a clip of Mark Rylance doing the St. Crispin's Day speech. And I it's, haven't seen it's this. way more, oh, it's, that sounds it's cool. way more like, instead of the like, you know, if those of you should perish, you know, like we'll share, we'll share the, 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 the honors of it. It's way more down to earth, like accepting of like, people are going to die. Um, and, and yes, we do need to rally together but it's i i suggest you i I, i've not seen him do the whole thing but i have seen him do the speech and it's a way different take on the speech and i kind of i kind of like it i'll check that out i like mark brothers what i found really disappointing about this movie was how because Lawrence olivia was incredibly one note and i was like is it because they cut certain things out from this character or was he just kind of bad which feels terrible to say it's Lawrence olivier jesus christ but like they cut so many because like Henry if, if you look at like dialogue now some people think that Henry V was actually a war criminal due to the atrocities that he did do especially during this battle and this whole time period and they specifically cut those things out when they do go to um I I uh, Halfleur, uh I'm sure I'm saying that wrong uh, you know, they cut out the entire entire thing where he says basically and trigger warning for anybody that does not want to hear about sexual violence. But he they they cut out everything where he says we're going to come in and rape your women. We're going to kill your fathers and we're going to stake your babies, which is really fucked up. And then they take out the fact that true and Henry V did do this, um, that he killed <laughs> All of their prisoners of war, which went against the code of chivalry because he was concerned that they would uprise against them. And I mean, if you were not nobility, then the code of chivalry didn't really uh, apply to you. But but that was a, a huge deal. So when everybody's going, oh, they killed the squires. That's against the code of war. I'm like, well, you fucking killed all of their prisoners of war. What did you expect? That's what happens. And um, I think that's a, a hindrance to this film because it gives us nothing. It doesn't, he doesn't feel like a, a fully realized person and also propaganda. <laughs> right. But I mean, like him sneaking around the camp in his it's, it's... costume. <laughs> so dumb. I hated that. Um, it was awful. Awful. I hated him. I was like, oh, God. I wanted them all to start making fun of him. And his haircut. The um the mock trial thing uh was interesting to read. The was it uh, was it Ginsburg and Alito were the two like did you did you read about that? There was like oh yeah they they like had like two of the Supreme Court justices like oversee like this mock trial of um oh, Henry V as a war criminal um which uh I mean I, I didn't read all of it. I didn't read the whole thing but that there was a lot going there just about your pronunciation of of Harfleur, um I think it was close the only thing it was missing at the end was a uh-huh. um just because Ooh, that, oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't Harfleur. Yes, there we go that's, yeah, that's, that's not offensive at all apologies to anybody that cares uh I will just apologize to um dialect coaches for how bad that must sound um 
I, I'm not apologizing to the French. If they can't take a joke, then they don't have to listen. And they probably don't. They probably don't listen to our show. Um, That's I okay. We have huge oh. French listening. We go from last week, Les Diabolique, which we were so high on, and I, then to this. Hopefully they stick around. Hopefully we didn't lose them. I can't wait to talk about more French films, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Same. Just for people to pronounce the names. You know, I there have been a... I, I want to come back to what you said about Olivier's kind of flat performance of this. Um, so bad. I, well, and before I get to it, I just want to re- like, there's a cool, like Wikipedia lists some of the, some people who have performed this over the years. Um, and like Richard Burton played this in 55 at, at the old Vic. Christopher Plummer did it at the Stratford Festival in Canada. Um, William Shatner was his understudy. That's amazing to me. <laughs> I, I just can't get over that. Um, but also uh, uh, Ian Holm played it timothy dalton played it branna obviously jude law did kit harrington did like it is it is one of kit those harrington's a little weird but I, well i think that's a trendy i think that's that's like game of thrones is done and and star casting yeah very much they're so. like maybe we can we'll just call kit harrington maybe he'll come in and he's like yeah i'm not doing anything john snow's dead now so he's not he survived but now isn't he like four foot five game of thrones I don't. I have no idea what Kit Harrington's height is. His if if his if he looks if his height. He looks like a little. The same one. thing as his acting ability. He's probably pretty short. Um, he's five eight. I think. Cool. He's like so, my so height. So he's average for a man. Okay, great. Uh, All right, fine. I don't know. I don't know Kit Harry. This is awful. I'm just in a bad. Mood. We'll cut it. This it's fine. Is, this, oh, I don't. I don't know him. I don't care about him. So. Um, I'm sure. So so the Criterion Collection has this. Uh, it's like an Olivier box set. Um, and it has his, the three big Olivier Shakespeare's. It's it's Henry V, Hamlet, and Richard III. Now, again, I, I, in, a, in another world, when I had more time, I would have been able to have watched his Richard III as well. But I have seen his Hamlet, and I have seen his Henry V. And I, Britt, I, I just wanted to continue what you mentioned. I, I don't think Olivier is a, a very good actor. Um, I think he 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 must have an understanding of the language. And back in in the 30s and 40s when this was probably more of the style of presenting it, um, he must have been, I, I guess, considered, you know, uh, top of the mountain when it comes to it. But I, I, I truly found both of his performances in those um, quite flat, quite boring. Um, and just, I mean, I, I just, I'm just not compelled by either of them. And it's crazy to say about somebody who in our minds, it's, you know, it's Sir Lawrence Olivier, right? Well, my my question is, so like stage acting and film acting are two very, very, very different things. They sure are. And my, my question is, because Laurence Olivier obviously did a lot of stage acting. So maybe he was really, really good on stage and it just did not translate to film acting because that happens. It's, it's not the same type of... It's not the same type of acting. It's not the same type of art. There are plenty of incredible film actors that couldn't do stage. And there are plenty of incredible stage actors that probably couldn't do film because they are two different art forms. So maybe they just were like, we don't really have a lot going on. So he's got to be good, right? When he's only good at one, maybe? Uh, I don't know. Joey, what are your... Am I giving him too much credit? Joey, remind me of your Rebecca thoughts. What do you think of him in that? Oh, I'm very high on him and Rebecca. And Rebecca. Oh, I do well. like him and Rebecca as well. Yeah, I think he's great. His monologue, like going through the whole thing, I think is fantastic. And, and I wish I smoked a cigarette that. Cool. Maybe that's, maybe, and maybe that's just something about, about the Shakespeare of it all. 
about some way of presenting that text because and and I can't say that my my Lawrence Olivier knowledge goes much deeper than those three films to be perfectly honest um given given the small sample size I would say that the Shakespeare the filmed Shakespearean performances l- lack something um that uh in Rebecca doesn't seem to be lacking seems to be there seems to be something happening with a bit more nuance, but a bit more specificity, and, and it, it gets you to lean in more and, and be interested in the character. And that's, I mean, I, it, there's just nothing about this Henry V that I, that I really, really clung to or responded to. Honestly, Shakespeare is hard, and I don't know if I would hold it on a pe- pedestal. I know a lot of people love. Shakespeare, they love the, the the text and diving into it. I think it is far too wordy and it should be revised for a modern audience. And it should be kind of taken apart, in my opinion. Like I, I think that there are too many people that either live and die. That, that, there are too many people that live and die in Shakespeare and think that Shakespeare is the be all and end all of what good theater should be. And yes, I know that he cut a, like what like, thousands of lines from it in order to make this movie, but it did not make it coherent. He did not try to make this dialogue more attainable for people. And one of the issues with Shakespeare is it's so it, it's yes, it's in English, but it's in an English we we no longer speak. We do not speak like this. So so it should be retranslated, in my opinion, my my humble opinion, my tiny opinion, um, because it's it's not accessible any longer. And he the way that he performed it was the most inaccessible. It made it seem if somebody who had never seen Shakespeare watched that, they would go, oh, this is why Shakespeare sucks. And I, I think I fall somewhere in the middle where, like, I appreciate the uh you, I, I love the um, your your ten things I hate about you. Your Lion Kings. I love the 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 loose trans uh, not translations the loose adaptations adaptations of it. Yeah. Um, and and I think from a performance standpoint, it's a. I, and this is this is clearly the movement teacher in me. But like you've you've got to use your body like so much oh, more definitely. of that language is clear when your choices have been made. I Shakespeare for me. It, there was there was a moment where I watched uh, to bring it back back to the Pacific Northwest. I watched a production of Othello at Seattle Shakespeare, and the guy playing Iago I thought was captivating. And part of what I liked about his performance was that he wasn't doing the um, the everything the the Shakespearean voice right. I what, what I saw was an actor saying his lines as the character, and I was like, oh. And it was one of the first times it clicked. I was like, you can just say these words. Yeah. And that was really, that was honestly, that and that might sound really silly, but once that veneer it's of, not. of, once that veneer of having to say it a certain way goes, goes out the window, it's more accessible. I mean, at least from, from an actor, I, I mean, hearing it's going to be something else, but as an actor delivering the lines and not trying to adhere to any way that it has to sound. The heartbeat. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just, I don't know. It, it, oh, it, it made Shakespeare way more accessible to me that we could just be saying the lines. Oh yeah. And, and I still think, and I've seen it, that people approach Shakespeare from this, this SLO standpoint 
of like we need to say it in a very specific way because that's that's how the language should be said. And I'm like, no, fuck that. That's not it. That's not no. it at all. <laughs> um, Joey's just staring at us. <laughs> well, and, and so you're right. I, I, I'm... we let's. Let's let's not put off some of our uh, our uh, the, the questions that we ask. Uh, you know, so uh, Britt, was your you said your favorite scene was some of the backstage stuff? Is that yeah? It was all the backstage stuff. Um, I did find it a little bit strange that they like. I was like, oh, we're gonna have a, a male play a female character because females were not legally allowed to play characters on stage until what it like. 16 something like 16 it was a couple it was six or seven decades after theoretically when this performance would have taken yes yeah no because this said it was like 1600 right so it would be like 1670 or something um and then even then they were probably just sex workers because that's something that also happened in the background if you go back and listen to our uh our uh, red shoes episode we talk about that um but i was like oh we have males playing females that's really exciting and very cool and then it just subverts that immediately uh but i did like the back the behind the scenes stuff i thought that was fun and i wish that they had continued with that and then they didn't and people talked to the back of the stage and i was like okay well nobody told you to to you know be on that angle and to project your voice at all. Okay, great, great. Uh, theater 101 right there, baby. <laughs> uh, Joey, what about you? What was uh, what was your favorite scene? Um, I'm not going to say the word favorite. I'm going to say scene that worked efficiently enough. I like that. I like that. Um, it, so, it's not even a full scene. So the St. Crispin Day speech, I don't like the delivery of the speech, but I like the way that it is shot because it starts very intimate and it gets very big. And I like the reactions of the soldiers around him and watching him. I thought that they did a very good job reacting to the least inspiring thing I've ever heard in my life. But I think they did a good job and it was shot very well. So that stood out that was, for me. That was almost my favorite shot. Almost my favorite shot. Me too. Me too. Um, m- mine actually is way closer to Brit, and it, but it's not. It's unfortunately it's not even a scene though. I just I was really digging the whole recreation of the globe feeling. Oh yeah, it was lovely. Like, that just was again, and that's the real true blue theater nerd slash professor in me. Like thinking like I liked the, I liked setting up the world, and then of course yeah, we never go back until the end. Which never go which back until the end, yeah. and you're like. Oh, okay. No, all of a sudden we're on stage again. Um, yeah, I figured that would be something you guys would. I was thinking about you guys during all that stuff, and I was like, <laughs> "It doesn't work for me." <laughs> which is, which is, which is, and then we could Fair. we could have done a whole thing about the groundlings and like you know you you, yeah. you paid for your shitty spot so you got rained on, but if you could afford to sit, you were okay, and if you had real money, you could buy a cushion to sit on. Yeah, that was that was all that all that. Yeah. Um, See, that's all interesting yeah, stuff. Well, it, uh, yeah, that's fascinating. But, but, but that's not that's that's not what we're. No, I, I know, a, but like that's fascinating to me. And now I want a movie of like th- that follows three different Just people the crowd. going in the crowd, going to a <laughs> yeah. Shakespeare show, and one is like a person that can afford a cushion. One's a person who only paid a penny for it. Another person's an actor in it. Oh, it would be so and great! Like, Fuck, right? it's Olivier and, again, and it's, it's a one be shot. Boring. Oh. <laughs> 
Well, and think about the people who go and like you, you go and you bring your fucking apple and like you, you think you're going to eat it at some point and then the show really fucking sucks and you're like, I'm going to huck this thing at the actors because that happened too. Um, yep. I would have nailed Olivier right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all. I'd probably be sitting next to you going, yeah, and then drinking an ale. That, Let's be real. Well, yeah, that, that would... Yeah. It sounds like a great time. Um, so my favorite shot uh, wasn't wasn't the the pullback for the St. Christmas Day. It's it's not too far after that, though. I really, also, I really, really liked the wonder of the horses approaching the battle. Um, like, we held on to it for a long time, and as, like, and, like, the horses sped up and sped up. I, I don't know. The, again, like the the actual camera use of that moment, and that is such a particular, very short moment. But I thought it looked like it was filmed well, um, and that's 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 my answer. <laughs> that's, that's my my favorite. Shot. My favorite shot was when the knights lifted the man in plate armor onto his horse via pulley system. I was like, wow, levity that actually works in this film. I appreciate this because, man, the the comedy was bad. And I don't like comedy. And, like, this made me dislike comedy even more. Well, well, when when I was reading people called this a comedy, I was like, well, no. It's not. You know, I, I wonder, and, and this is something that, I mean, maybe there's research, maybe there's stuff out there about this that we could find. But again, again, to call back the, the Kenneth Branagh version, it was funny, like, to see Ian Holm in it, right? And to, like, and, and to kind of say, you know, kind of get at it, but kind of be funny and quirky and charming and stuff. I just wonder, like, I do you think, like, especially the Brits who saw this when it first came out, that those people were recognizable. And so when they were being goofy and shit, there was like, oh, that's my favorite. That's my favorite guy. And he's being silly because obviously, like for us, it was just like, no, no. But like, right. but when I watch Ian Holm Maybe. do, I was right. like, oh, there was more. There was a little bit more like I like Ian Holm. You know what I mean? And I was I was in it a little bit more. I don't I don't know if there's any of that going on. You know, I think that's optimistic of you. <laughs> I think that's pretty optimistic, but also this was a pretty depressing time in general. It was World War II and everybody was like, oh, we're all going to die. Um, so it could be that even Pistol, who I hated, like if we have an, uh, a, a, a least valuable person in a movie, it's Pistol for me because my God, his eyes are terrible. When he's staring at that camera and I'm like, your eyes are about to pop out of your head. Um, maybe like... Pistol was so over the top and distracting for them that it was it, it they were able to forget about the horror that was happening in Europe at the time. The horror. But Pistol it's was this. a horror, um, and I hated him. And he's my least I valuable player. Learned his name because of how much I hated him. Oh, thank God, Joey. Oh, because yeah, I just the oh. worst. So my favorite shot was the scene where the two armies were lined up on the field in the big pullback shot. Because it made it look like something interesting might happen. Do you mean and it, uh, at, when it's at night? or No, no right before everything, okay. when it's just the two sides, everything in the back. Like, it's, it's, it's very far away. Yeah. It actually looks like we're going to fight and not a pillow oh, fight. Oh, man. I, that... It's the worst it, battle it scene was, in the history of movies. It was like... That was, I mean, I applaud the editor of trying to make it look as if something I, was happening. Effort, but holy shit, 
the the LARP scene in Role Models was more vicious. It sure. Wow. Good point. I, so, I actually really like Role Models. I love Role Models. <laughs> and li- literally, I wrote, epic battle, quotation marks, LARP, LARP pillow fight. I'm going to go watch Role Models. That's my notes. <laughs> Did you, in fact, go watch Role Models? I'm going to watch it tonight because oh, I had to finish this today during my lunch break and um, work was way too busy to have TV on in the background. Like, sometimes uh, I could watch stuff while finishing up paperwork and stuff. I can do that. Too. Oh, I definitely do that a lot because I'm, I'm an EA. <laughs> my job is cake. Let's be real. Yeah, but that was a more vicious battle scene than this. At one point, I actually... It was just, they were all pushing against each other, and a guy with this, with um, a weapon just kept holding it. He didn't do it, because he didn't know that at least fake swing, bro. And, like, guys just swinging at nothing, and, like, it was so bad, the editor must have pulled his hair out of his head trying to do it, because, I agree, Adam, he was trying his damnedest. I mean, he's just showing his horse teeth for some reason to try to get things going. Maybe that's my unsung hero, because honestly, under unsung hero in my notes, I have, I don't have one for this film, because... My unsung... That's funny. I just don't. You're not wrong. It's just... No. My unsung hero is, I do think the set designer tried the hardest here. I I actually... I almost went with costumer. I went with, I went with E. Lindegaard, who was the scenic artist. I think he was the one in charge of the, I I actually really appreciated the effort of the model, which again, was like, we never... The model was great. Like, they built this... That's how it should have ended. Pull out. Apparently the model was, uh, was pretty big and took a lot of time to make. Huge. And we just, it's like, it was this interesting kind of here's london here's london and here's and then here's the globe and then it's like you didn't i mean blow it up do something i don't know like it just never because it looked really good finish there because even like even the stuff you clearly knew they're not walking to this big castle they're walking into a wall like but it looked awesome like you knew what it was but it still looked good so i that's the set design the scenic artists like that the costume people like I think those people were the ones who were busting their ass for this, while the rest of the people were just kind of showing up. This is a baffling film. I, because it's just so bad, and I wanted it to be good. It's so disappointing. Now, I, I, I normally, I, I don't, I feel like I don't, intentionally ask a leading question like this but i absolutely am going to um great i can't wait so, so and it's good. definitely it Brit, it is definitely coming your way joey i want to hear your opinion too but this is definitely this is definitely coming towards i'll Brit. let joey go first oh, oh great um i'd love to hear our thoughts about uh the character of princess Catherine and the two scenes that she gets in this uh joey um i believe the baton has been passed to you so we'll start we'll start with you uh so i'm gonna so the third time he pretty much said she doesn't speak enough english that doesn't matter anyway um i turned it off and i was like i'm just not gonna finish this because this is awful and i didn't i went and then i was like no i have to it's only right to finish it and it got worse and more just absolutely wasting this poor woman who i don't know maybe she's awesome Maybe she is great. She was 
I don't know, because this movie just kept reminding me that she can't speak enough English to do anything, and I hated every second of it. She is charming and lovely, and they gave her nothing to do. Why was she picking flowers while she was supposed to be figuring out what like body parts were? So basically, the first scene we see her in, she's supposed to be like, oh, I should learn some English. What what do you call this? What do you call fingernails? What do you call fingers? And when Emma Thompson does it, it's extremely charming and lovely. And you get a gist of what's supposed to be happening, even though the French is not translated. And it's not translated for a reason, right? Because we're supposed to kind of be in Henry's shoes and how Henry would be if he was around. And his that's fine. That could work. And that can work, but they did nothing, nothing to make this understandable for the audience. Even though she was lovely and charming and I really liked her, I thought she was kind of like a light because she was, she was great at delivering her lines, but (laughs) we didn't understand what the scene was supposed to be about because they, they just gave her nothing. They chose not to try to make this understandable to the audience. Yeah, uh, uh, and I'm happy you said you liked her because I really liked her, but she did nothing and they gave her nothing. And I was like, do I just like her because she's, because everyone else is bad, so I'm just rooting for her? So I'm glad uh, you said that because it, made, it, it validates me a little bit because, and I still don't know if that's not the case, but I was like, yeah, I, I like her. What What is this? Like, in my head, she's like the star and they're just absolutely screwing her and she could make this a functional movie. And, but okay, so I feel a little bit better about that absurd take. No, it's not an absurd take because it. I feel it, better. They just, I don't know. They just didn't do anything with any of the dialogue in this film, and again, like not to harp too much on the Kenneth Branagh version, but it's obviously so much better. And honestly, I watched it at ten o'clock at night last night after going to rehearsal, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna put this on. I'll probably watch fifteen minutes of it. I watched the entire thing. The entire thing, I went to bed at what, like one o'clock in the morning and I was thrilled by it. I was so happy I had watched that film. And I thought, damn, I wish I felt this way about the other one we actually have to talk about. And specifically, like Emma Thompson is so adorable in that film and she gets across what's supposed to be happening in those scenes. And God damn it, I wish they had allowed the like single female named female character to actually have some type of uh, semblance of a character in, you know, the 1944 version. Back to you, Adam. Thanks, Britt. Uh, now that we covered uh, Prince, no, I don't know. I just, that felt like an anchor kind of moment. Um, real quick thing. Uh, uh, um, Renee Asherson's last role was in The Others. I don't know. I almost said that. Just gonna, I was so excited when I read throw that. that out there. Wow. She was the creepy old lady. Creepy old lady in the others. So she is great. <laughs> she is. She's really good. <laughs> she is great. God, I love the others. Can we just talk about that? Uh, I, I haven't seen it in years. So no, because I would fail at that conversation. <laughs> I love the others. Um, OK, listen, gang, I don't I, I don't want to fucking belabor this point because I, I feel like this, this does anybody have anything else that they they really want to get off of yes okay lovely Brit do it 
It's just a historical fact that I found really interesting, but I didn't know prior to this. So Henry V wasn't alive, obviously, when um, Joan of Arc was trying to was was doing her thing in France to be like, hey, English shouldn't be occupying us. Let's go. And then she got, you know, burnt to the stake. But spoiler his alert. Hist- a spoiler <laughs> alert for anybody that doesn't know that Joan of Arc dies. Um she is a saint. Most of them die in really horrific ways. But one interesting thing that I did find is that the propaganda around Henry V started around the same time as Joan of Arc because um, Henry VI, who is Henry V's son, was like the worst king ever. He just was, he didn't do anything. He didn't understand what he was supposed to be doing. And he basically lost France. And... um in England, they're like, oh, shit, we need to try to find somebody else that is going to be as saintly as Joan of Arc. So they started rewriting Henry V's history. So that's why that's about like around the time of Joan of Arc is when we get all of these stories about Henry V being, oh, he was such a a, a vagabond when he was a young man and he just went off and did what he wanted and then he realized he needed to be pious and king and when his father was dying he went and spoke to a hermit for a night and then when he came out he and his father had died he took on the role of king and was pious and true the entire time so he kind of followed the same trajectory as Joan of Arc as like a saint-like figure because you know, Catholicism was ingrained in everything, and they needed someone back home to prove that they should be continuing these fights in France to to keep a hold of France, because they're um, because they, basically they shouldn't have been there. Uh, and I found that really fascinating. So propaganda around Henry V started basically right after he died. Great time to start if you can't fuck it up. Yep. I mean. You know, something I've talked about in my in my theater history class when I taught it was like if you if you go back to the Greeks and when they would do their first like the first theater festivals, um, comedies weren't allowed for a long time. Um, it was just the tragedies. And then eventually, because because comedy was the lower art. So eventually comedies can get in and then they, they were competed. But like if you track that trajectory, even today, if you look at like major awards, right, comedies still down here they're not as they're not seen as important as dramas or tragedies and this idea and then and but also a lot of those greek tragedies were based on on real events and real people and obviously shakespeare did a lot of his histories about people that really existed uh might have fudged a few facts uh but and then people see that as and so and and then if you if you track it to today there i there are still a lot of people right who who watch, and this is a weird example, but like watch something like the social network and think that's how Facebook was started, right? And there's just this thing where it's like, you you, you gotta do your own research. You have to. You absolutely you can be, have now, to. And obviously I think, I think there's some mutual love for social network on this pod as a film, but like in no way is that how Facebook was founded. So so it's just, and so you bringing up the, the propaganda around Henry, uh, Henry V, I, I believe it, but it's also like I could also see like people going like, "Yeah, that's what happened." Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like not quite, not quite, but good for you. You you took a first step. Now let's do some extra stuff. Let's read some some books and. I mean, 
we're in a phase now where people think if it's on screen, it's true and glorified. It was if the it, whole, like, bones and all fight last year when people are like, oh, they're glorifying cannibalism. Like, you fucking flat brains. No, <laughs> I, they're not. I, I, so, not that movie, um, I really was, liked bones and all, but of course really I really exceeded my expectations. I had a lot of fun yeah. with it. Me too. I just, I thought it was fun and it was great. And I don't think it glorified cannibalism at all. And No, it... Uh, actively does not if exactly. you pay any attention but people are stupid and they're like well it's there so that must mean people are pro they see a tiktok about it and they're like yep that's it that's all i need to do i don't need to do any other research this 90 second video told me everything i need to do like to learn about this one subject yeah so, but that's where we're at so yeah so it all makes it all tracks a long history of Dumb. So, so Joey, any uh, outside of the the flat brainers out there, um, anything else you want to get out before we? <laughs> before... You know, I, I love talking to you guys so much, and I look forward to it every two weeks. I'm so happy we're not doing this again. Um, y- yeah, yeah. Um, That's my last thought. I mean, this might be our <laughs> shortest episode. I, I think outside of the draft, yes. Uh, and oh, that yeah, is definitely. a that is a fact. Did you guys do your unsung heroes? Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, did. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with there is no unsung hero in this movie. Fair. Personally, fair. Um, I think that's reasonable. I don't think that's I don't think that's a bad call either. So let's just uh, let's just uh, beating around the old bush there. And, We're done. Uh, let's, let's this maybe uh, answer. Well, answer this pretty rapid fire. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just pose the question: uh, Should Henry V be in the book of a thousand one movies you must see before you die? Britt, what do you think? No. Joey, what about you? Yeah, nope. I don't either. I don't either. Um uh so uh so there we go. That that could be the short part of that. But now, uh per the huge, um let's maybe talk about some replacements. So Britt, what are we gonna put in instead of Henry V? Really easy. We're gonna go with 1988's Kenneth Branagh's version of Henry V. If we're gonna get, if we need Henry V in there, we might as well go with the superior one with Brian Blessed. Like, I'm sorry, there's no point in watching a historical British drama without Brian Blessed. So, just gonna just gonna go with that. All right, fair. Uh, I guess Sound, I, I guess I can I, say I do have something written out here. I said um, it's a more interesting, gritty depiction of war, and though like it maybe it is important to understand that the 1940 version was a propaganda piece. I didn't understand that until I started to do research for this movie because it was so unclear and and just it was a bad movie. So, woo, Kenneth Branagh. Uh. Joey, what about you? I am going with a loose, well, a Shakespeare adaptation. It's the best rom-com of all time. It's Heath Ledger. It's 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh my God, it's so good. I, it's so good. back full circle with the recommend and the Heath Ledger of it all. I see, I see what you did there. It's I'm bookending. So this movie couldn't bookend, so I bookended uh, yeah, I, very, very solid choice there. I, I was tempted to do it, but I thought somebody's gonna, so I didn't, I didn't pick that one. Um, and I, you know, I went with, uh, you know, if you want to, I'm, I'm going to, you're going to get your money's worth with mine and, uh, I'm actually going to replace it with Branagh's Hamlet. Um, 
Oh, fair. Which doesn't cut a single thing and is full of so many wonderful performers in it. Um, I mean, you get you get so many people who probably shouldn't even be in the fucking. I mean, you have fucking Jack Lemon in it for a little bit. It's just it's it's I mean it's amazing, and they don't cut any of the Fortinbras stuff either. Like it's it is like four hours. It's the whole fucking shebang. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The best production of Shakespeare I've ever seen was an uncut Hamlet, and it was incredible, incredible, just so good. So yeah, yeah. So and it wasn't the Branagh version; it was on stage. I, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so there we go. We have three, definitely, I mean, 10 Things I Hate About You is about as good of a thing of Taming of the Shrew as, as I've seen. So, um, so, so it's there we go. We have some Shakespeare replacements for Henry V. Um, but of, of course, that's just what we think of Henry V. And if you're a sane person, you probably agree with us. But if you don't, hey, hit us up on Twitter or X or whatever the fuck it's called and Instagram and other places um, I don't, shoot us an email, I guess. I don't know. It, it, it exists. Um, and, and listen to us. Send mail. Yeah, right, yeah. send us some, <laughs> some physical mail. Um, yeah, I want a letter. <laughs> that'd be neat. Lovely. Um, and, uh, and, and you can listen to us in all the places where, um, where you find podcasts. And, and Britt, can you tell us about the last film that we're covering for the season? I can't believe we're already on the last film. That kind of makes me sad. But I'm also excited because we're set up for season four. So (laughs) we're not going anywhere. Uh, But we are ending this season with um, what I believe is a triumph of animation. We're going with the cyberpunk action film from 1988, directed by Katsuhiro Otomo. And it is Akira. My excitement level is high for this one um oh i'm really worried about that actually it's the most nervous i've ever been because i feel like there's a lot of pressure on it i actually don't want you guys to feel pressure like i understand it's a good pressure pressure is good but i I don't i don't want to hurt your feelings by so but i don't know maybe i I feel pressure i'm very excited because i am looking forward to this but i'm nervous I mean, if you if you don't like it, my feelings will kind of be hurt. Will I judge you a little bit? Yes, but I will accept, accept what you say. It's just this film rocks my world. So I'm really excited to share it with everybody and with you too. And Listen, I, I hope it's the exact opposite of today where we all come in and we're just super high on it and just having a blast talking about it. I hope so, because like we had such a blast talking about La Diabolique and then we came into Henry the fifth so maybe let's let's end on a high note y'all well i did watch a um like an anime that's pretty that's very popular recently i'll talk about it on the episode but i did not like it which one no no i'll tell you on the next episode oh my god no i need to know you know i watched it and it was i don't even know why it came on it like and i watched it and it's very popular and people and i didn't like it and i'm like oh no i'm scared now but I'm going to give it a... Listen, I'm giving this the full, open-minded... I'm going all in. I'm, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time, Akira. Okay, so. so is this a first watch for both of you? It, it is for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. The pressure is on for me I'm now. Like, I, I... I, Oh, God. Okay. Okay. We're doing Akira. Akira. However you want to say it. It's... Akira, Akira. It's incredible. Uh, so, so yeah, so next week we have, we, we are going to be talking about Akira and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up the season. We'll have a fun kind of catch all episode and, uh, 
and that is that is what is on the horizon. So uh, until next time, uh, I am Adam. I am Brett. And we will see you for Akira.